Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Kevin Abel, who's a consultant as well as a former candidate for the United States Congress. I've known Kevin for over 20 years and have enjoyed collaborating on technology ideas as well as sharing personal experiences. Kevin's smart, he's got a gift for strategic vision, he definitely has a bias for action, and has always been willing to give back to the community. He's been a consultant, he's a business owner, he's a current board member, and he also got to experience a political ride a couple of years ago. So I can't wait for him to share some of his experiences on this podcast. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here, Paul. Yeah, thanks. So, um, yeah, so we, we met, I think, when I was at Meridian uh, working for the Olympics. And we were talking about, you know, just some digital solutions. And you and I have kept in touch. I think it's been at least 20 years. So it's um, uh, been interesting to kind of watch your, your career from Able Solutions and doing some other things. But uh, let's start with, um, with your background. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and, um, you know, a little bit about family or school and, and kind of how that led into your first job. Sure. Well, once I start talking, um, folks listening to this podcast will realize that I'm not from around these parts. Um, <laughs> you don't have an accent. I have an accent, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. I'm actually from Texas. Um, I, I, I spent 10 years in, in Dallas and Austin, and that's where I picked up my strong Texas accent. But before that, I grew up in South Africa. I was born in Cape Town, South Africa, and uh, lived the first 14 years of my life there. And then uh, my mom and my stepdad uh, decided that it was time to leave South Africa and emigrate uh, with their five sons, me and my two brothers and my two stepbrothers. And we moved to Texas um, in 1979, which is when I was uh, 14 years old. So I, I uh, joined ninth grade um, in Texas at the time and finished my high school and college in, in Texas. That's a big shift. I, I, I had a similar situation where I moved from South Florida to Atlanta when I was 14 in ninth grade, and it was a culture shift just to move one state up. I can't imagine the cultural differences that you saw or experienced coming from another continent, certainly another country, to Texas, where, you know, Texas is almost like its own country, right? Tell me about that. Yeah, well, the, the, there's no question, right? Uh, you know, I had a, if, if, if anyone thinks I have a, a strong accent now, you should have heard it 40 years ago. Um, you know, my, my very um, strong South African accent didn't match well with the deep Southern drawl of the Texans. And, you know, my last name being Abel, I was the front of the line in everything that was done alphabetically. I remember in ninth grade in uh, PE class, um, <clears throat> you know, I was lined up first for everything and, and out our instructor was coach keith i'll never forget coach keith who came from the deep south of texas and um <clears throat> having to one day we were playing um baseball or softball i guess and i'd never played baseball i knew nothing about the game and i was first up to bat and i stood played with the bat in my hand and i looked at the coach and i hit the ball which way do i run and he thought i was messing with them like like being just cocky right and yeah. he just slapped me in the stomach really hard like really kind of three more of my feet and you know that was before you could sue your coaches for the different life that was that was my introduction to texas culture and and i quickly learned how to play softball so that that wouldn't happen again yeah well tell me about some of your memories growing up in south africa i've i've traveled a lot around the world but i've never been to south africa so how would you describe you know your childhood and some of the experiences you've had 
Well, you know, one has mixed feelings about, you know, one's memories about South Africa, you know, because on, on one hand, you know, certainly Cape Town is, you know, the fairest Cape, as, it, as it's called. It, it is one of the most beautiful, beautiful places in, in the whole world. And, and I encourage people who haven't traveled, who like to travel, when we can travel again, to go to South Africa and, and experience that. Um, you know, we grew up as a, uh, white in South Africa, very privileged, you know, and, and, you know, what I learned as I got older, you know, the last year or so that I lived in South Africa, and certainly as I entered my teenage and college years, um, that, you know, South Africa is a very fraught society, or certainly was at the time, you know, with mm-hmm. apartheid and um, the strict separation of the races, and, you know, 80% of the population of South Africa were deemed non-citizens living in squalor and and without the opportunities that we had as white South Africans. So, you know, you know now of course South Africa has gone through um, significant change and and you know the the country is now majority rule um, as appropriate. But you know obviously when I think back to my years in South Africa, you know I, I have very mixed feelings about you know you know the privileges we we enjoyed but but yeah. entitled to have. Yeah. So you get you get to Texas, um, you know, obviously getting over some of the culture shock and the new sports. Um, were there some things that you you figured out in high school, either you were good at some subjects or tell me a little about your experience? Yeah, well, you know, you know, with 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 all candor and, and, and some level of humility, I'll say I was always a good student. Um, I was very book smart, not not the most common sense person uh, that ever walked the planet. But, you know, I knew I could. Um, do the work that needed to be done and get the grades that needed that I needed to get. And, you know, I excelled in, in high school and, you know, I, I, you know, applied to good colleges, landed up going to the University of Texas, Texas at Austin, UT, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, pursued my engineering degree there. Um, you know, always recognized that academics was going to be an important, you know, goal of mine to pursue. Yeah. So did you, did you know that you wanted to be an engineer in high school where they're just sort of like math and science, obviously you were good at, or you wouldn't have done well in, in college with that, but did you kind of know engineering was a track for you that you wanted to pursue? No, I, I, I got to admit that, that I fell into engineering. Like most people fall into engineering. They're good at math and science and they don't know what they want to do. And so some teacher tells them, you know, you should pursue engineering. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I had no idea what engineering is. And, and I think that, that's still the case today that that most most um, high school students don't really have a good sense for what engineering is, um, but land up pursuing it all the same. And I have no regrets, but it took me a good three years of college. You know, you know, it was only junior year, you know, where you get deep into your, you know, engineering curriculum that, I, you know, and I had a couple of summer jobs along the way that I kind of figured out what it is that engineers do. And, you know, it's a bit of a shame that, that we don't have a better way of, of, of providing insight and, and, and vision into that. Again, no regrets, but, mm-hmm. but it was more kind of a default choice than, a, than a, a passion. Yeah, I think you're right that there's, you know, there seem to be more, uh, structure's not the right word, but I know for me going to college, it's like I actually started as doubly as well. I'm like, okay, well, what's doubly do? Oh, they go to work in a lab like Intel and they build, you know, microchips or whatever. And, or there's some other element of electronics that they go into. And, you know, what I didn't realize is that you could come out with an engineering degree and go straight into business or consulting or anything else. And so there's, there is a little bit more um, adaptability and diversity in some of the jobs that I've seen over the years. But to your point, back in the day, there was, you know, you sort of had this, this straight 
structure. And I think you were, Michael Dell is one of the esteemed uh, alumni. I think you were there about the same time as he was, is that right? Yeah, Michael Dell and I lived in the same dorm. Uh, we were the same age, we're freshmen together, yeah. uh, living in Dobie in, um, in Austin. I didn't know uh, Michael Dell, I just knew um, a partner of his at the time who was in my fraternity, who mm -hmm. ended up having a falling out with him, poor guy. <laughs> and you know, was aware that they that while we were all you know doing what um, college freshmen do on weekends and every other night, uh, Michael Dell was building computers in his dorm room. So there you go. Yeah, I didn't know if he was selling them to some of the folks on his hall or on on campus to start with, or if you knew much about that. But I, I, I didn't. It was more yeah. retrospectively that I that I learned that interesting. While we were you know, drinking beer, he was you know, <laughs> building his multi-billion dollar empire. Yeah. For sure. So um, now while you were in college, did you intern? Did you do anything in the summers that uh, gave you some experience as to what you knew what you wanted to do come out of college? Yeah, I worked um, a couple of summers for General Motors. So I worked in, in you know, Arlington, which is just outside of Dallas one summer. And then I moved, I, I went up to Ohio and worked for one of the GM divisions up there um, my summer before my senior year. And, and, you know, I got a much clearer taste at least you know one kind of slice of of what engineering might look like mm -hmm. did you feel like that was something that you wanted to pursue or did, was it eye-opening and you decided to maybe look at some some other options no it made me want to run a mile from from engineering um yeah it, it, it was you know entering senior year it was like oh my god i don't want to be an engineer um and you know luckily i had the fortitude to to stick with it and get my degree but, you know, what I learned, and, you know, you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, is that an engineering degree is a ticket to many different types of opportunities out in the workforce. Now, again, you know, as a, a senior in college, I didn't kind of have a good grasp on that and didn't really know what that all meant. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was fortunate enough um, senior year that um, um, Arthur Anderson, which became Anderson Consulting, which became Accenture, Mm -hmm. um, was recruiting on campus and they weren't just recruiting out of the business school or out of the MIS uh, department, but they were recruiting from the engineering school, the, you know, the English department, the history recruiting from all disciplines across the campus. And they were doing this all across the country because they had a vision that they wanted uh, you know, people who graduated with the ability to think for themselves, with the ability to solve problems, with the ability to think critically, and that they, the company, were going to teach you what you needed to know to be successful, you know, in their, um, in their line of business. And they recruited with, um, you know, they recruited really well, quite frankly. And, and, and what they offered for me was a, a ticket out of the world of engineering into the world of consulting, which appeared very um, enticing to me and, and, and thus I took that job. Gotcha. Now, were you actually, were you running more away from engineering or are you running towards consulting? Was there something that resonated with you with the consulting um, world at the time that said, okay, that's what I've been looking for? No, I mean, again, perfectly frank, um, I was running away from engineering. I was looking for a way towards something different and consulting seemed appealing to me, you know, mm -hmm. You know, what did I know? I, you know, what, what they showed me in a few interviews, you know, I guess we had what, two or three interviews over the course of the, of the interview cycle. So I yep. certainly didn't know what consulting was, but, you know, I got introduced to a number of, of 
you know, young, recent graduates, recent employees of the company, you know, who appeared to be like me, to have similar interests to me, to have, you know, succeeded in thriving career. And I saw it as, you know, when I took the job, you know, I said, I'm going to do this for two years. You know, it will give me experience in the working world. It will give me a better sense for what I want to do. Um, it's not something I'm going to stick with indefinitely. I landed up staying there three years, but, but it, was, it was a perfect way to start my career. That's awesome. What were some things, as I know, you know, the consultants, uh, they probably still do this today, but I know it was, it was a nice training ground uh, for new graduates to come in and kind of learn a little bit about, you know, how to conduct yourselves in, in meetings and how to represent and how to, you know, go into the data and dig into some of the analysis. Was that onboarding process, um, you know, a good experience for you? Yeah, they, they have, and, and were known at the time and, and, and continue to be known as, as having a tremendous training program. So, you know, they send you off to, um, it was the training school up in St. Charles outside of uh, Chicago and, you know, enforce a, a pretty strong discipline around, um, you know, project management to task management and, you know, analyzing business processes and communication skills, how to talk to business people and elicit requirements and needs and, 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 and understanding the processes. So they, they taught a very strong discipline, you know, which, you know, you know, if you wrap a circle around it, it, it it's the world of consulting, mm-hmm. uh, business consulting. And, you know, in addition to that, what else? Um, the language of implementation, which at the time, which certainly dates me, uh, was COBOL. You know, we actually had to code the solutions and, and develop them in COBOL. Um, of course, that's changed. Right? Yeah. And that was the, that was the, the language that you would uh, do the computer programming in. There's still some companies today that are paying big dollars for COBOL programmers because they haven't migrated off those systems. So, but yeah, back in the day, that was that was it. It was IBM hardware and, um, and some of the cluster controllers and COBOL language to drive whatever um, automation you had. So you, um, so you're there three years. Were you, did you get into um, a certain vertical or did you have um, some experience across different industries? Well, I'll share a little bit of um, Anderson Consulting or Accenture Dirty Laundry, you know, they, at the time anyway, this, again, this is 97 through 1990, um, you know, lots of talk about, you know, career progression and what are you interested in, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you know, when you're a relatively young, um, you know, consultant, it's all about the warm body, which, which we all made fun of, you know, there's a, a project need for someone to do such and such and such and such city and Kevin Abel's available, off he goes. And what his interests were, <laughs> didn't seem to play a very strong role in that. Um, you know, I had a strong interest at the time in, in, the telecommunications area and and that that had a fascination for me but they didn't seem to care much so it didn't really mature <laughs> so you um obviously consultant especially when you're right out of school they put you on the road so you probably led a, a consultant life for a while um did uh, after actually to sorry to cut you off there um you know the irony is i wanted i wanted that life i was single i was you know i, I had no particular attachment to Dallas, which is where i live um, you know, it, it sounded fun to be, you know, sent off anywhere, even if it was Wichita, Kansas, no offense to the, the Wichita, Wichita, Kansas listeners, but, but, um, for just, 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 again, just the random things happen. I landed up staying in Dallas on, on projects, 
pretty much the whole time. Uh, really? Them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. That is certainly not the norm from, from what right. I've heard and people that I've talked to, but um, so you're, you're there three years. Um, at some point you decide maybe consulting is not where you want to be. You want to be moving to industry. Tell me a little bit about the transition. Yeah, well, you know, here, here's a little segue or, or a, a little interruption in, in kind of the traditional career cycle. You know, two things, two, two things, right? First of all, um, you know, ever since that, you know, end of my senior year, do I want to be an engineer? I'll do consulting by default. But I had a sense that I was on the wrong career track completely. I, I, I believed that I was destined for, um, you know, working in, in the public sector, you know, um, you know, working for the government, you know, maybe pursuing a, 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 a life in academia. I was really all over the place. I considered myself a Renaissance man and, and you know, being a consultant isn't very Renaissance-like. And, um, you know, so park that thought for a second. This, this is something that kind of, you know, I was living with for the three years at Anderson is, is how am I going to pursue this, this other life that I, that I really think I want to pursue. In the meantime, um, in, in, you know, my second year or, or towards the end of my second year at Anderson, um, this, this, this young, beautiful woman uh, from Atlanta, from Anderson's Atlanta office gets, gets assigned to a project in Dallas on the road. And I happen to be on the same project as her. Her name is Cindy. Mm-hmm. And, and I meet Cindy on this project and I fell instantly in love. Um, head over heels in love. And, you know, a few months later, as I neared the, the, the end of that three-year tenure at Anderson and, you know, Cindy had now moved back to Atlanta, I was at the point where I said, okay, enough, I'm done with Anderson. Um, I've, I've served out three years, which was a year longer than my original intent. Mm-hmm. I want to pursue this renaissance life that I, that I, that I think I want. Um, Cindy's in Atlanta. I'm quitting and moving to Atlanta, which is what I did. Um, so I come to Atlanta in 1990 and I spend a year, a full year, um, living off my savings. I go to Georgia State and study philosophy and political science. I apply to the United States State Department, take the foreign service exam, uh, just lived a, a wonderful one-year life trying to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life, get engaged to Cindy, um, realize I need to make a living and took a job at Bell South. Wow. You know, it's funny <laughs> I have not heard that story, but that's fascinating. And it's, uh, you know, it's not surprising. There's a lot of, a lot of things that we do um, when we meet the right person and it changes your perspective or your priorities and your interests. So that's, that's amazing. So, um, so you get to Atlanta um, and I didn't know that was a, that was a, a focus of yours to go into public sector or serving. So that's, that's pretty interesting. We'll get to that in a little bit too, but so you get to Bell South. Um, I'm trying to remember, cause I know they went through some iterations getting into uh, the long distance market and um, you know, the, the breakup of the bell companies and all that, where were, where was that when you were there? Yeah. So the, the companies, you know, AT&T had been broken up, you know, quite a few years before at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is 1991 ish now. Okay. And um, bell South has, you know, is essentially two different companies. There's the regulated company, which is Southern bell and then the unregulated company, which is the, you know, the company that can do things beyond just providing telephone service, you know, to homes and businesses. And I land up on the unregulated side and there's a division of Bell South that is trying to get into kind of consulting, believe it or not. And I'm looked at as an expert because I've come from 
Anderson Consulting. And, and so they bring me on, you know, to help them, you know, kind of do some of the things that I had learned, you know, and had ingrained in me at my years at Anderson. So, you know, after running away from Anderson, um, I land up coming back to a world, you know, leveraging those skills. And I, I land up working for them for about um, three years or so. You know. Okay. Was there, um, was there any kind of lessons that you learned while you were there in terms of um, just what they went through, things that you were able to um, impact or accomplish? Or what was just kind of your, your take from those years? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, my take from those years is, is that, you know, when, when you work for a consulting firm, you're embedded at, you know, companies, you know, large institutions, um, and, and you, you, you parachute in, you allegedly help them accomplish something, you know, sometimes you're successful, sometimes you're not, and then you, you get, you know, yanked back out. Whereas at Bell South, you know, I was embedded for, what, three or four years, as an employee, not as, you know, an outsider. And it, it was really interesting to, you know, be part of a culture to, you know, to kind of, you know, learn from a company that's been around for over a hundred years, you know, and, and, you know, the good and the bad, right? I mean, there's a lot of institutional inertia that makes things go incredibly slow. And after the fast paced life of, of being a consultant, you know, you're dealing with the inertia of, of things just being done the way they've all and and don't rock the boat and you mm-hmm. know things like that that can be incredibly maddening but you know there, there's some other things that are very positive as well you know and 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 so you know you just kind of find the balance there but look i, I knew that it wasn't going to be for me for the long term but it was a way for me to kind of stabilize my life in atlanta you know newly married or was about to be newly married um and you know just just thought that it was a good play good way to you know kind of get my you know, feet in the ground in Atlanta, but I always knew that, you know, my goal was to start my own company. And, you know, it was, it was kind of inevitable that I was going to do that at, at some point at that, at, at that point in my life. And, and I was just biding my time for that right moment. Yeah. So I really want to dig into that. Cause I think um, for a lot of the younger listeners, there's opportunities now that there necessarily wasn't 25, 30 years ago in terms of being able to start a company and having some access to capital and being able to, you know, leverage the internet, Tell me a little bit about your thinking in terms of going into business for yourself and what that looked like. Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you a little bit, you know, kind of culturally um, first and then, you know, some of the practicalities. I, I come from a family where, you know, my grandfather started a business. My father was an entrepreneur. My stepfather started his own company. So you'd been around that experience for a while, right. then. And, yeah. and and my brother, my my elder brother, had had started a, a technology marketing company and and been very successful um, in Dallas. And so you know, in, in in some respects, I felt like a little bit like the black sheep in the family for you know you know working for someone else, you know. And and, and there was a lot of pressure. I mean, when I say pressure, I mean you know a lot of kind of familiar family type, you know, so when mm-hmm. you start your own company, but it was kind of that like, well, I better do this, otherwise I'm done. It's um, the business version of when we're getting grandkids, right? Exactly, exactly. So so there was that. And and then, you know, like I said, you know, I was I was happy enough at Bell South, but I knew I wasn't going to be there for the for the long term. And, you know, figured that I could do my own thing. And, and so, you know, we started a company, it landed up being Cindy and I, my wife, Cindy and I started our company together called Able Solutions. And, and it didn't 
you know, I didn't really see it as a risk. We didn't need capital because it was a consulting company. You know, it basically meant you're giving up your salary so that you can go find some work and, and build your own time and then, you know, grow and get your first employee, your second employee, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see it as a tremendous risk. And, you know, I knew that as long as I, you know, had a few months, you know, income and, you know, needs in the bank and confidence that if it failed, I could find another job easily enough. You know, all it meant was go out and find a customer and then you're off the ground. So I didn't see yeah. it as entrepreneurial in the sense that, you know, people go out and, and, and get funding and, and, and develop a product and, you know, go through that phase. But, you know, obviously we, we you know, we'll take credit for the fact that we built something and, you know, landed up growing it into, you know, a nice size company over here. Yeah, but I think too, I mean, I know you're being a little humble, but I think in the day, you know, now that, you know, we live in a world of gig economy and anybody can kind of hang a shingle up and, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly not as uh, uncommon to have those, those single customer, you know, consulting or even a couple customers and kind of doing your own thing as a, as a one person contractor. But I think back in the day it was still, you know, in heard of the consulting was still, you, know, you had bigger companies that would come in and embed themselves uh, to the organization. But I want to ask you too, also, you started this with your wife, Cindy. Mm-hmm. Was she also um, kind of feeling like uh, I want to do something in the startup world or how was that dynamic? Well, she was scared to death. She didn't have the same family background that I had. Her dad worked for Sears for 25 years. Her mom was a homemaker. So she didn't, she didn't have, you know, kind of that, that sense of, Oh yeah, we got to go start our own company. You know, like I said, she worked, she had, um, I had met her at Anderson and she had stayed at Anderson and was still at Anderson at the time uh, that, that I quit Bell South, you know, to start Able. And then she subsequently uh, quit Anderson and and joined me at Able. Now, um, you know, she believed in me. She believed that it was a good idea. It took a little bit of, um, it took a little bit of persuading. And, and, oh, by the way, she was pregnant with our first child when, when, when we both quit our job, which again, you know, in retrospect, we're like, were we completely crazy? Um, At the time we didn't really, you know, today, you know, everyone talks about healthcare and, and the portability portability of healthcare with respect to, you know, the workplace and everything like that. But at the time, you didn't think about healthcare the same way we thought about healthcare now. But, you know, I tell the story, you know, um, yeah, we, you know, two young people both quit their jobs, you know, Cindy's pregnant with our firstborn, and we both give up our jobs and give up our healthcare. We must have been absolutely insane. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly brave. Um, but I mean, it's, you know, sometimes you almost have to have, you know, you're back against the wall to really kind of push through some of the you know, just the, the challenges that you have sometimes. I think if you, sometimes if you're doing a, a side gig that, you know, you still have your day job and, you know, if you run into some barriers, it, you're not quite as focused on overcoming those as if you were, uh, you know, completely out on your own. So, um, so wow, you had, um, you had a child within a year starting your business. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what were some of the, the early lessons you learned with starting your business and, and what were you able to do with those? Well, we only have a, you know, Another few minutes. I, I can't tell you, you know, all of the lessons we learned, but you know, yeah. there's there's a million lessons. I mean, you know, you start yeah. your own business. There's one thing and one thing only that matters, and that's sales, right? You got to have clients to have a business. You don't have clients. It doesn't matter how great your business looks, mm-hmm. papers. So, you know, I never considered myself a salesman. I, I, you know, you know, I was like, like I said, I was a book smart person, but not a terribly common sense kind of person. And, you know, just, just didn't have that sales gene in me or that sales instinct in me. But it's amazing how quickly you learn how to sell when you realize that 
your future as a business owner depends on it. So, you know, the, the biggest lesson, you know, in the early days is that if you don't pick up the phone, you're not going to make any sales. The business isn't coming to you. You've got to go out and find the business. So I got yeah. myself in my office. I locked myself in this tiny little, you know, 10 by 10, you know, executive suite office that I rented. And, and, you know, it was just me and the phone. And, and I had to battle that because it was against every instinct to pick up the phone and make phone calls. Um, but, but I did. I yeah. Did. I knew that if I didn't, I'd be back at Bell South and, and I really didn't want to do that. Yeah. Well, it's good that you recognize that and, and certainly had to overcome some of that. So yeah, let's, let's, um, we could talk about Able Solutions because there's a lot there, but let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. So you wind up, um, getting an opportunity to, uh, to sell the business and then you kind of started a, a new career change. So talk about that transition. Yeah. Well, you know, you fast forward in 22 years, you know, know, we had, we, we had a lot of ups and we had a lot of downs and and we built a nice company and it it was a small company that had a great culture and a lot of friends and, you know, just learned a tremendous amount over the course of the years. But after 22 years, I got bored. I mean, honestly, you know, it it was, it, it was a lot of the same thing. You know, sometimes the cycles just, you know, keep repeating themselves and you say, okay, well, you know, I'm ready for something different in my life. Now, mentioned earlier, you know, at the age of, you know, 25, I had had, I like to call it my quarter life crisis, you know, like, hey, I don't want to, you know, work in the quote unquote business world, I want to go save the world, whether it be, you know, working for the foreign service or, you know, in the civic space. Um, And while that didn't happen when I was 25, now that I was, you know, 50, I think I was, uh, when we sold Able Solutions, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a second this and, and, and go after the, you know, this kind of ideal that I had about, you know, what I want in, in, in my professional life. And, um, you know, it was kind of a long, bit of a winding road as, as to how I got there. You know, I was, you know, looking for that next career, you know, I called it my second 50, you know, what am I going to do with the rest of my life, my next 50 years? And it just so happened that, you know, there was a, a congressional seat here in the Georgia 6th District, which is the northern uh, suburbs of Atlanta, um, that had gone through, you know, a bit of turmoil in a um, 2017 special election. And I saw an opportunity in the 2018 election cycle for a, you know, a business-oriented moderate Democrat who could kind of pull votes from both sides of the aisle to, you know, to win a race uh, in a district that had been Republican for the last four years. And, you know, long story short, you know, I made the decision that I was going to enter the race and, and run for Congress. And that's a huge step. And I know it's, um, you know, you talk about the sixth district and I mean, this was known nationally and certainly had, you know, um, you would call it both sides of the aisle, very interested in, in this, this race, certainly from the, the 2017 change, but also leading into the 2018 um, general election. So, um, what was what was running a campaign like, and how would you compare that to a business? Yeah, well, you know, the first the first things you learn when you run a campaign is that it is a business. Um, you know, there was a, a a company that we started called Kevin Abel for Congress Inc., and you know, we landed up with five employees and a budget and a you know expenses and a deadline and and a strategy and a vision and a goal, and you know the. You know, so the businessman in me saw that this was a business. But what was different is that what, what Cindy and I had built up over the course of 22 years, we were now going to have to execute in the course of about nine months. 
And, you know, the thing about an election is you, you, there, there's a timeline that's dictated for you. I mean, it's obviously self-evident, but, you know, it's kind of funny mm -hmm. to think of it in business terms and say, hey, you know, in my case, you know, I had a primary, right? The primary was, uh, when was it? May 22nd, I think, of 2018. And, you know, I got into the race in October. So I had this, what, you know, eight month period in order to, you know, accomplish this quote unquote successful business. So there were a lot of similarities in terms of business. And, and, you know, I brought to the skill that one of the skills I'd like to think of as bringing to this campaign was my skills as a business owner and as someone who knew how to manage people and how to treat people and how to get people to work together efficiently and effectively towards the goal. I met a lot of other candidates, you know, during the course of the process um, and the vast majority of candidates in, in American politics are not ex-CEOs. They don't bring that skill set to bear. And you hear about the strife and discord and disharmony on, in, on, in campaign offices, you know, with all the different personalities and, and, and the, the, the candidate is anything but a CEO and, and, you know, just kind of, you know, floats their way through. So, you know, it, 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 it's, not a, it, it's not a requirement that a candidate be a CEO, a past CEO, of course, but it certainly was a, a huge benefit and something that I enjoyed bringing as a skill to the campaign. Gotcha. Now, how did you, I mean, if, if we talk about it in business terms, how do, you, how do you understand your customer? I mean, obviously you've got, you know, constituents and your voters and you have to sort of get a sense of where everybody is. How do you, how do you, how do you gather that information? How do you adjust to, to work through that? Yeah, well, you, you have you have a, a couple of different customers. Um, you know, you know, running a campaign is is in, in the sense like a business is it's sales, um, and you're selling two customers. One are the group of people who are going to fund your campaign, right? So you you know you talk. I, I mentioned earlier the the fear of picking up the phone and, and and asking people for their business. Well, as a candidate like it or not, you have to raise money. You can't win a campaign uh, without, without certainly a campaign for Congress without uh, money. So one, like I say, one subset of your customer are those people who are going to actually make contributions to your campaign and, and you spend an inordinate amount of time picking up the phone and calling people and you know, convincing them of the reason why you're the candidate they should invest in and, and, and asking them to make contributions to your campaign. So, so yeah, the, the other uh, constituency are, are your voters, and obviously, the, ultimately, the most important ones. And and you meet your voters uh, sometimes in person, sometimes at their doorstep. But the vast majority of voters, unfortunately, you know, are not going to engage in the campaign in any kind of detail level. And you you're going to win them by a thirty second commercial on TV or a, a flyer or a postcard that that lands up in their mail. Um, so you know, how do you you know? I'm just trying to think back to your question there, but, you know, you, you want to reach the voter, um, you know, with a message that resonates with them. And obviously as you know, candidate, you know, you know certainly I was, uh, and hopefully most are, they're true to what they believe they run for a reason. And they have a certain set of, of issues and positions that they're taking that brought them to the race in the first place. But, you know, you do some polling and, and you figure out what are the most important issues to the voters and, and obviously focus you know, where there's, where there's alignment, you know, healthcare, immigration, these are two that were very important to me. Mm -hmm. And where there's alignment with what voters are interested in hearing about, you focus on, you know, you focus on those and, you know, hope that that resonates. Yeah. Well, I know we won't delve into the, the politics or uh, any of the other details about it. Cause I, again, we can, we can certainly pull it up in another podcast, but I do want to um, just give you an opportunity to kind of talk about, you know, beyond, you know, the, the election, um, anything that you want to sort of, um, 
chat about since you um, since you ended that election in 2018? Yeah, so you know, I don't mind saying you know I didn't win the election, and and I have no regrets. It was an absolutely phenomenal experience. You know, still still kind of tickled by the idea of this you know this this boy from South Africa that landed up in Texas, and and then Atlanta gets to run for United States Congress it was an absolutely phenomenal experience, and 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 just affirming of our democracy and the opportunities that are presented here for anyone, you know, to be able to do something like this and, and, and certainly start a business like we talked about. I'm at a point now where I'm going to start another business. Um, I want to get you know busy again and I have an opportunity to work with a young guy that I've been mentoring over the last uh, six or seven years, someone who worked at my prior company who's just very entrepreneurial in spirit and, and, and skill and you know he's eager to to go off and and and, and do his own thing and and he and i have partnered together and we're going to do something together and and i enjoy the idea of getting back into business of getting busy busy again in in, in in a world that i've missed for the last four years um, um but also the opportunity to work with someone younger someone who can teach me um something about how how the millennial generation thinks and 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 acts and and together i think our skills will complement each other quite well that's fantastic. I can't wait to kind of see how that evolves and we'll have to have you back on uh, another episode and talk through kind of what you're, what you started and, and uh, how things are going for you. Uh, one last question, man, before we drop. So I like to ask all the guests this, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah. I, you know, some, something that, that, you know, I give myself, I give to my kids, you know, my kids are your kids ages, you know, you know, in college and just beyond college and, and, and something that I tell them and, and certainly would have told myself if I, if I could have done so is that one shouldn't get so caught up in what the career path is going to look like, right? You know, I said in high school, you know, they said become an engineer and I didn't know what that was. And then I was an in- engineer and I ran away from it and, you know, was anxious about having chosen the wrong career. You know, I, I, I think I th- one should you know, challenge oneself and, and, you know, pursue what one's interested in, but not get caught up on trying to understand where the path is going to lead. Because, you know, it, it sounds cliche-ish, but life is a long and winding road. And, you know, one of the joys of life is, you know, finding out what's around the next corner and not being so caught up trying to understand, you know, you know, where that is and when one is going to get there, you know, so, you know, pursue a, a, a career, pursue a degree in college and then a career post-college that's going to be interesting to you, that's going to challenge you, that's going to excite you. But don't feel like it has to be perfect because it's never perfect. It just leads to new and better and more interesting and challenging opportunities, you know, as the page turns in life. And, and, and I think that's the best advice I could have given myself, you know, if I could go back 30 that's great advice. And I think it applies to really just about anybody, regardless of what, what major they are, or what profession they're going in. You know, I think the, the opportunity to take risks, you know, kind of get yourself out of the comfort zone a little bit and just kind of see where that road leads to. Um, I think if you're always challenging, you're always learning, um, you know, it, it definitely can take you places that you may not have predicted, but certainly a place that you might be doing well and, and certainly can be successful. And so great. Well, advice, I mean, you know, Paul, you know, and, and it's not just advice for, you know, the, the 18 year old in high school or the 22 year old who's about to graduate for the 35 year old or the 50 year old or, or you and me, right? That, yeah. That, you know, 
back in our parents' generation, you know, people took a job for life, right? Whether it was my father-in-law at, at Sears or, you know, someone I know who's been at UPS their entire life or IBM or Coca-Cola, you know, the, 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 the joy of life is the experiences of life. And, and you know, this, is, this economy we're in right now is not an economy where you have one job for life. You have seven jobs or 10 jobs or your, your career over time. And, you know, at the age of 55, I get to be excited again about a new career opportunity, as do you, right? And yeah. So this, is, this is something that applies to all of us at all stages. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, not something that I would have expected. Like, you know, by, by this age, we would be the sage, you know, wise experts that people would climb up the mountain to ask us questions, right? But life changes. <laughs> you know, even technology, you know, you and I were in the tech sector and what we knew 20 years ago doesn't apply today. And so you always have to be learning and growing and asking questions and trying to find new ways to solve things. And so age is really not even relevant. And that's just a, that's just a way of life now. Definitely. Well, Kevin, man, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Um, it was great catching up with you. It's great to hear about your career path and kind of what you're doing today. And we'll definitely have to catch up on another episode and hear what your next adventure is. Very good. Happy to do so. Thanks, Paul. Good luck. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.